This is The Visible Hand, a podcast about organizations, economics, and management. My name is Jordi Blanes Vidal, and I am an associate professor at the Department of Management, London School of Economics. My guest today is Anna Gumper, an assistant professor at the Department of Economics of LMU Munich. Today, we're going to talk about her paper, Firm Organization with Multiple Establishments. Anna, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for inviting me. So Anna, let's start by briefly summarizing what does the paper do? Can you tell us like in a couple of minutes the overview of what does this paper cover? So in this paper, we study the managerial organization of firms that have multiple establishments. So firms that, in addition to their headquarters, have one or more establishments that are typically in different geographic locations. And what we show in the paper is that in such a situation, when a firm has several establishments, the managerial organization of the different establishments don't only depend on the characteristics of that establishment and its location, but they also depend on the characteristics and the location of the other establishments of the firm. So the managerial organization of establishments in multi-establishment firms is interdependent across establishment. And we show this both empirically and theoretically. So a core element here of the paper is, as you just said, that the establishments of the same firm are interdependent or dependent mm-hmm. from each other. This interdependence by itself, this is not a particularly novel idea. Mm-hmm. You cite a paper by Giroux and Muller mm-hmm. who find that when an establishment suffers a negative demand shock, mm-hmm. other establishments of the same firm, but perhaps very far in their location, also decrease their employment. Mm-hmm. And this authors argue, well, it is the fact that all establishments are financing their investments from the same internal capital market that is creating this interdependence. Mm -hmm. So if I am correct, then the main novelty of your paper is in terms of the finding that it is not just employment, but specifically the organizational structure of the firm in terms of like the presence of number of middle managers that is affected by shocks to other establishments of the same firm. Am I correct that this is like the, the main angle of novelty of the paper? Yes. So there is a literature um, or there exists a literature that thinks about the interdependence in multi-establishment firms. And much of that literature thinks about interdependence in terms of financial markets, as you just mentioned. And yeah, our approach or our contribution is to show that the managerial organization is interdependent and that there's interdependence within those multi-establishment firms because they share managerial resources in the headquarters. So if I had to take that earlier paper that I was just referring to Mm -hmm. and explain it to somebody who is not an organizational economist. Say, you know, somebody that is literate, but maybe not an economist, a lay person. And I tell that person, see, the employment in an establishment is affected by what happens elsewhere. This message of this paper wouldn't need out of justification for people outside organizational economics because everybody cares about employment. Mm -hmm. But saying that the shape of the organizational pyramid is affected by shocks elsewhere is a little bit more obscure or Mm -hmm. a bit more academic. Why should people be interested in the organizational structure of firms? Mm -hmm. So we know that that the organizational structure of firms is an important determinant of firm performance. And that's why it's important to understand the determinants of a firm's organizational structure. And the prior literature has largely focused on size as the main determinant of how the optimal organization of a firm looks like. But the largest firms actually typically are multi-establishment firms. And that's why
why I started thinking about how this decision to split up your production and be active in several distinct locations affects the optimal organization of firms. As you said, the paper has both an empirical part and a theoretical part. In fact, this is a paper that has the following structure. First, you present some facts, uh, three facts that you can think of as like maybe like correlations, Mm -hmm. but that are interesting correlations or that require some type of explanation. Then there is a model that explains these facts and also has a set of additional predictions. And then there is a more, I guess, serious will be the word or formal empirical section in which you find that these predictions about these causal relations appear to be uh, supported by the data. So let's start with the facts. And here, before that, I, I would like to say that I, I really like the way of structuring a paper this way. So often when you talk to like a PA student or a job market candidate and you tell them, describe your work to me or something, they start by saying, I have a model of this or the literature says that, but nobody cares about this. Like it's very difficult to convince other people to care about this. It is much better to say here, I found these things about the world that require some explanation. Let me give you some rationale for these facts. So before we go into the first fact, can you tell us what type of data set you have to study empirically these issues? So we have access to a data set that is mainly based on German social security records. So the German social security records are at the establishment level. So they basically contain an identifier that tells you which different individual establishments work for which firm in a certain municipality. And we have access to those data for the years 2000 through 2012. And we linked the different establishments to a firm level data set because the German social security records there, as I said, at, at the establishment level. So you know the establishment, but you don't know the firm. And so we use the record linkage procedure to combine firm level data by Bureau van Dijk, so from the Orbis database, with the social security records. And so the resulting data set contains information on a large number of multi-establishment firms, so different establishments within Germany that belong to the same firm. And we have information not only on the firms, but also on the establishments and the characteristics of the establishments, such as, for example, in which sector they're active. And then for each of the individual establishments, we know things like their wages or the occupation of the employees. So you are going to end up essentially with a panel of establishments and years, Mm -hmm. with 10 years and then whatever number of establishments you have. And for every establishment, you have the number of employees, as as you were just saying. And you are also, obviously here, the big question is the organizational structure of the firm and of the establishment. Mm -hmm. How do you compute that organizational structure? To measure the organizational structure of the establishments and firms in our data, we adopt a methodology that was proposed by Lorenzo Caliendo and Cosas in a 2015 paper for French social security records. And they proposed to assign the employees and the social security records to hierarchical layers based on their occupation. And we basically adapt their classification for Germany um, and assign employees to layers based on the occupation. So the bottom layer are production workers, clerks, and operators. The top layer is the CEO. And then in between, we just differentiate or distinguish two layers of middle managers um, of a varying degree of seniority. Okay, so for every establishment and year, perhaps you're going to end up with a number. So presumably, mm-hmm. every firm has a CEO mm-hmm. and every firm has at least one production worker. 
So the number at the firm level is never going to be smaller than two. So what we do is we take the lowest layer that we observe as layer of production workers, and we count the number of managerial layers. So that's um, that's the number of layers above this lowest layer. So the number is never going to be smaller than one then. Now, it turns out that in the data, there are some firms where the layer, where the number of layers is actually zero. And these are owner-managed firms because um, if a firm is owner-managed, then the owner is not an employee of the firm and then the owner doesn't show up in the social security records. But that's only a small fraction of firms. At the establishment level, of course, there are establishments where there are no middle managers. So at the establishment level, the variation is between zero and three uh, managerial layers. Okay, so using this data, what is the first fact that mm-hmm. uh, begs for an explanation? Okay, so the first fact that we provide in the data, or in the first fact, we basically ask, well, how do these multi-establishment firms look like? And how does geography affect where these establishments are located and how large they are? So we run a set of regressions where we correlate the question whether there is an establishment in a location to location characteristics and the distance of that location from the headquarter location of the firm. And what we find is that the larger the distance is of a location from the headquarters of the multi-establishment firm, um, the lower is the probability that the firm maintains an establishment in that location. And then when we take as given that there is an establishment and ask, well, how large are those establishments? Then we find that establishments that are in locations that are more distant from the headquarters have a lower number of employees than establishments that are more proximate to the headquarters. Just to be clear about the, the fact Let me see whether I understood. Mm -hmm. What is this fact? There is a data set Mm -hmm. in which an observation is a pair of counties and firms. Mm -hmm. And the dependent variable takes value zero Mm -hmm. if that firm does not have an establishment in that county or value one if it has an establishment in that county. And then the independent variable is the distance between the county and the location of the headquarters. Yes. And the finding is that the further away. So if the headquarters are in Bonn, the firm is going to set up an establishment. This establishment is more likely to be in Dusseldorf than in Hamburg. That's correct. And this is because Dusseldorf is around the corner from Bonn and Hamburg is really far. Yes. So generally, yes. So it's a little bit more nuanced. So say if Dusseldorf and Hamburg are equal size and and have the same wage level. So that's what we control for additionally. We can control for some things. Yeah. Ceteris paribus. It's correct. Yeah. So you said that you have an explanation, but you can see that I'm trying to create a lot of local flavor into the discussion of this. So I've learned a lot about the German geography. So now here is is my, my natural explanation about this fact. There is a firm that started making German sausages and is headquartered in Bonn. And these sausages are made using the Western style. Mm -hmm. Now, the firm says, okay, we have already a shop. Let's create a second shop. So where should we set up that shop? Well, we have to set up the shop in somewhere else where they like Western-style German Mm -hmm. sausages. So it's not going to be in Hamburg because they are in the north. So maybe they have Mm -hmm. different tastes. Mm -hmm. But around the corner is the most natural place to be. What I'm trying to say is you have an explanation, but the local taste, spatial correlation of demand would Mm -hmm. be a natural explanation for this first fact. That's true. And I wouldn't... So I wouldn't want to argue that our explanation is the only explanation for this fact. What I would like to point out, though, is that our fact is robust across many different um, sectors. 
So it's, I mean, taste plays a big role in, say, consumer goods like food, but the fact doesn't just hold in these types of sectors, but we have basically all sectors from uh, manufacturing through services in our data set. And the fact is very robust. So it applies as much to, say, car production, where tastes are, I guess, uh, much less heterogeneous within Germany than when it comes to sausages, as it applies to, say, supermarkets or, um, or say, sausage production. Yeah. Okay, what is the second fact? So in the second fact, we ask whether the managerial organization correlates with geographic distance. We count the number of managerial layers that each firm has and correlate it with different proxies of geographic frictions. And so one proxy of geographic frictions is the maximum distance between the headquarters and the establishments where we use the maximum distance to take into account that um, firms have different numbers of establishments. And the other of proxy of geographic frictions is the area that is spanned by the headquarters of the firm and its establishments. And this is basically to take into account that um, you know, it may make a difference whether you have one establishment that is really far away and others are really close or whether all of your establishments are really far away. And so we correlate the number of managerial layers and geographic frictions And we find that the number of managerial layers of a firm is significantly positively associated with both the maximum distance of the establishments to the headquarters and the area that is spanned by the establishments and the headquarters. Here's a data set in which the observation is a firm mm -hmm. and the number of managerial layers, that is that number between one and three that we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier, whether they are middle managers or supervisors, that's the dependent variable. Mm -hmm. And the distance between headquarters and the establishment that is the furthest away, that's the independent variable in one of the specifications anyway. And there is a positive correlation. So the idea is that firms that have more establishments will have a higher likelihood of having managers because managing these people who are further away is somehow more difficult or something like this, right? One thing that's important is that we control for the size of the firm in all our specifications. And in some robustness checks, we also explicitly control for the number of establishments. And we find that larger geographic frictions as approximated by the larger distance have a positive effect on the number of layers, taking as given size and the number of establishments. Okay, good. What is the third fact? So in the third fact, we exploit the panel dimension of the data and ask, well, how does the managerial organization of multi-establishment firms evolve over time? And so we were mainly curious to see whether if firms reorganize, whether then they reorganize all of their establishments. So they add a managerial layer, say, at all of their establishments at the same time, or whether that's not the case, basically. And so what we do is we basically study firms that change the number of layers from one period to the next. And we find that among those firms, most firms change the number of layers either at the headquarters or at the establishments, but they usually don't change the number of layers at the headquarters and the establishments at the same time. I don't understand here with respect to this third fact, what is the finding in the sense of what is it that this new evidence tells us relative to the prior that we had mm -hmm. before looking at empirical evidence? And this is for the following reason. Typically, the establishments and the headquarters and all this, they don't really change the number 
number of layers a lot from year to year. Okay, so the likelihood just in general is low. Let's say for the sake of an example here that the likelihood of changing the layers in the headquarters is 10% every year. Now, imagine that there is also an independent likelihood that there is a change at the establishment level, and that's also 10%. Well, this means that only 1% of the average years, you will find both the headquarters and the establishment changing the layers at the same time. Mm -hmm. So most of the times that the headquarters change the layers, the establishment will not change them and vice versa. So the finding here is that we should a priori really have expected a very strong positive correlation between these changes or are you implying that there is a negative correlation? That is that if the headquarters change the layers, it is less likely than the establishments will change the layers. Mm -hmm. What is the finding here? That there is no positive correlation or that there is some hint of a negative correlation or that the correlation is zero? I'm not sure whether my prior really was that it's independent, random, um, the reorganization of headquarters and establishments. Sorry, let me just emphasize here that if it was random, then broadly speaking, this fact will be in the opposite direction as the main message of the paper. Yeah. Because the main message of the paper is that these decisions are interdependent. Yeah. But the reason I'm asking this is that this third fact seems to be, in spirit, it sounds somewhat contradictory with the broad message of the paper. It's not contradictory in a sense that later in the model, we show that adding a layer of middle managers at the headquarters and adding a layer of middle managers at the establishment are substitutes. So, so in a sense, if I add a middle manager at the headquarters, this decreases the probability of adding a layer of middle managers at the establishment. And so in a sense for us, if we had found that the firm reorganizes the headquarters and the establishments at the same time, that, this, that the probability is strongly positively correlated, if the headquarter gets reorganized, it's very likely that the establishment also gets reorganized then that would be the message that's contrary to the paper. But we find that it actually doesn't seem to be the case. So they are reorganize either one or the other. Yeah. Okay, good. So we have these three facts. Why is it that these facts require a model to be properly explained? We wanted to cleanly tie together the organizational decision and then this fact on establishment size and the investment probability. Um, and that requires to have a model of firm organization that gives you yeah, a prediction regarding how the organization of the firm and the size of its different units relate to each other. Okay, so in a couple of minutes, can you tell us what are the main ingredients of this model? In the model, we look at a world with two locations. Each firm in our world consists of a headquarters that has a CEO and production workers in one of the two locations. So that's what we take as given. And the firm endogenously decides about its organizational structure. And so the firm decides whether it would like to maintain an establishment and hire production workers also in the other location. And it decides whether it would like to hire middle managers at the headquarters, at the establishment, or at both locations. And in making that decision, the firm has to take into account that production is a problem-solving process that is based on labor and knowledge. So we basically adapt the knowledge hierarchy framework by Garicano here. And in particular, we built on a paper by Caliendo and Rossi Hansberg about the relationship between firm size and firm organization. 
And so production being a problem-solving process means that there are two production factors. There's the production factor labor. For every unit of labor that is used in production, a mass of problems is realized, and then knowledge is used to solve those problems and produce output. And so labor and knowledge are complementary inputs in the production process. Now, I mentioned that there are three different types of actors. So there's the production workers. They input labor in the production process. So they generate problems and they also solve a fraction of the problems on their own, but they're not competent enough. So they don't have the knowledge to solve all the problems. And then there's the CEO. That's the most knowledgeable employee of the firm. And the CEO uses her knowledge to help the workers solve the remaining problems in the production process. But this helping activity costs time and the CEO only has one unit of time available. And then when the firm hires middle managers, these middle managers also help the workers solve problems that come up in the production process in place of the CEO. So they more or less kind of shield the CEO from too many questions by the production workers. But hiring these middle managers entails a cost because they have to be paid. And now the two key assumptions um, that we make is to assume that the CEO is time constrained and that the helping cost to help the employees solve problems that come up in the production process is larger when the employees are at the establishment than when the employees are at the headquarters. So there are kind of geographic frictions to um, the helping cost. So the CEO has to travel to the establishment and then ask them what is going on here. Well, we have a problem. You Only you can solve it. Here is the solution. And then this travel time is obviously longer if the establishment is further away from the headquarters where the CEO exactly. is typically based. Exactly. So that's basically the idea. In a sense, you can't resolve geographic frictions perfectly by using modern communication technologies. Instead, you have to, to be on site. And yeah, for example, in order to figure out where the problem is to attend a meeting, whatnot. And that's why. So I can see that in terms of fact, one, just the way that you have described the model Mm -hmm. is immediately explained. If the establishment is really, really far, it's so costly for the CEO to travel that many of the problems that they have up there are going to go unresolved. If there are some setup costs of the establishment, it's better to just not set it up. So what's happening is that if the establishment is really far away, the helping costs are really high and the firm would like to avoid those helping costs. And the way to do it is to make the local employees more competent. So to give them more knowledge and giving them more knowledge means that the wages increase, this drives up the marginal production cost. And that's why um, these establishments are small or don't exist at all, of course. Okay. How more things to say about the model in terms of how it works? So we've already discussed how the model captures um, fact one. Let's look at the two other facts. Let's maybe start with the third fact. So with this gradual reorganization and to see why the model predicts that firms should add a layer of middle managers first at the headquarters and then at the establishment, but not simultaneously at both units. Um, it's useful to think about a world where there's no geographic frictions. So there's just changes in firm size. Now, one thing that's important to know about these knowledge hierarchy type models is that the marginal production cost in those models increase with output. And that's because if the firm wants to grow, it has to hire more production workers. These production workers generate more problems 
But because the CEO is time constrained, the production workers have to solve a larger share of their problems on their own. So they have to have more knowledge because otherwise the CEO wouldn't be able to help all the production workers. And so because the knowledge of the production workers increases, their wages increase, and that drives up the marginal production cost. Now, you can think about the decision to hire middle managers in this model as the decision to adopt a production technology that has a higher fixed cost because the middle managers have to be paid, but that in return gives you a lower marginal production cost. Because if the firm decides to hire middle managers, then these middle managers help the workers in place of the CEO, and that allows the firm to reduce the amount of knowledge of the production workers that brings down their wages and thus the marginal production cost. Now, the literature has shown that in single establishment firms, because of that intuition, large firms have more layers of middle managers than small firms. And what we show in our paper is that this result in general also applies to multi-establishment firms. So small multi-establishment firms are not going to have uh, middle managers. And large multi-establishment firms are going to hire middle managers at both the headquarters and the establishment. And that's because for them, it pays off to bear the quasi-fixed cost of having these middle managers, but in return benefit from lower marginal production costs. What we show in addition is that for firms of an intermediate size, of kind of medium size, it's optimal to hire a layer of middle managers at the headquarters, but not at the establishment. And that's because hiring middle managers at only one unit is associated with a lower cost, but it's actually beneficial for both units. So if the firm hires middle managers at the headquarters, this, first of all, brings down the marginal production cost at the headquarters because the middle managers at the headquarters help the production workers at the headquarters, and that allows to reduce the knowledge of the production workers at the headquarters. But in addition, the headquarters thus sends fewer problems to the CEO. Thus, the middle managers at the headquarters release time of the CEO that the CEO can then reallocate to the establishment. And therefore, having a layer of middle managers at the headquarters actually brings down the marginal production costs both at the headquarters and at the establishment. Why is it not the case the other way around as well? Because having an additional layer of middle managers in the establishments should mean that the CEO has to travel less often to the establishments. So that means that the CEO has more time to yes. devote to the problems from the headquarters. I mean, it's symmetric in some sense, yes. correct? So, so currently we're in a world where there's no geographic frictions. If there's no geographic frictions, actually it doesn't matter. So, the, so everything that I said about hiring a layer of middle managers at the headquarters applies to the symmetric case of hiring a layer of middle managers at the establishment, but not at the headquarters. Because, yeah, as you said, um, we're in a world where the two locations are perfectly symmetric. So there's no geographic frictions at the moment. So what about if there are geographic frictions? Now, if geographic frictions come into play, as I already mentioned, so we capture the geographic frictions by assuming that geographic frictions increase the cost for the CEO to help the employees at the establishment. Now, the firm would like to avoid those higher helping costs. And as we discussed earlier, this means that the firm is going to assign more knowledge to the employees at the establishment. So they send fewer problems to the CEO, but that drives up the marginal production cost. 
And I mean, I just said that you can think about the decision to hire middle managers as the decision to adopt a technology that has a higher fixed cost, but it brings down the marginal production cost. Now, if geographic frictions increase the marginal production cost at the headquarters, it actually becomes optimal for the firm to adopt this technology that brings down the marginal production cost and hire middle managers at a lower amount of output. So the geographic frictions, higher geographic frictions increase the number number of layers of middle managers that the firm would like to have. So once there are size differences, it can be optimal to adopt the layer at the headquarters. But in a world where, where there's a metric, it's unambiguously the case that the firm would like to hire that layer of middle managers at the establishment. So can we use what we have just discussed in order to explain fact two? Mm-hmm. Exactly. For everybody who is listening, remember that fact two mm-hmm. was the fact that the further away the establishment is from the headquarters, the higher the number of middle managers or the, the number of layers. Exactly. In, in the company. So this, this is exactly the explanation for fact two. So the geographic frictions drive up the marginal production cost at the establishment. And that's why um, firms adopt or hire a layer of middle managers at a lower amount of output and why Given size, firms with establishments that are farther away from the headquarters have a higher number of lives. What about fact three? So fact three uh, is what I explained earlier. So fact three is explained by the fact that small firms choose not to have middle managers. The largest firms choose to have middle managers at both units. But firms of of an intermediate size choose to have a layer of middle managers at one unit, but not at the other. That's fine. Now, you have this model that you have just described. And it allows you to generate additional predictions, Mm -hmm. specifically about how changes in helping costs, the ability of the CEO to help solve the problems of the workers in the other establishment that you're going to proxy as geographical frictions affect some of these things. What are these predictions? So as I explained, when we were discussing how the model can explain fact two, if geographic frictions increase, the firm adjusts its organization in a way to avoid these geographic frictions. And the one channel that we discussed already is that the firm increases the knowledge of the workers um, and employees at the establishment. A second thing that the firm does is it tries to reduce the number of problems that have to be solved because every problem that is generated potentially has to be sent to the CEO and sending problems to the CEO has become more expensive because geographic frictions increased. And that's why the firm would like to produce the same amount of output with less labor, yeah. so with generating fewer problems and instead solving a larger fraction of those problems. So what the firm does is the firm reduces the number of workers at the establishment and instead increases the knowledge of the CEO. In a sense, you can think about it as, I mean, if I have to bear this high cost um, to send a problem to the CEO, then I want to have a really high probability that it's actually solved for this cost to kind of pay off. Um, I really want this problem um, to be solved. And that's why um, the firm increases the knowledge of the CEO. Now, the CEO is shared between the headquarters and the establishment. And now if the CEO knows more, this has repercussions for the headquarters. And because if the CEO um, knows more, this allows the firm to also hire fewer workers at the headquarters and to adjust um, the organization of the headquarters. 
And it's this interdependence of the establishment and headquarter organization that we take back to the data in the final part of the paper. So basically what we try and do in the final part of the paper is to show that geographic frictions that affect the establishment have an effect that goes beyond the establishment. So, so it's not just the organization of the establishment that, that is adjusted in response to geographic frictions, but it's actually also the organization of the headquarters and through the headquarters empirically of possible other establishments that the firm may have that responds to geographic frictions. So how do you test these predictions? In the last part of the paper, we exploit the opening of high-speed train routes as exogenous variation of geographic frictions within multi-establishment firms in Germany. So during our sample period, three new high-speed routes were opened in Germany, and they really significantly bring down the travel times between the connected cities. And what's important is that these new high-speed train routes actually make the train the fastest mode of transportation um, between the cities. So it's faster to go by train than to go by car or fly. And that's why business travelers indeed adopt or use those high-speed train routes. So we obtained information on the travel times before and after the opening of the new high-speed train routes from Deutsche Bahn AG, so that's the German uh, railway company. And we also obtained information on them, how frequently these routes are used by business travelers. And we find that the fraction of business travelers on the new high-speed train routes is about double um, the average fraction of business travelers in the long-distance train network. So this is a shock that we can reasonably expect to affect multi-establishment firms and kind of the managers of these multi-establishment firms. So we have now two sets of predictions. And the first set of predictions is on the affected establishment. That is the establishment that due to the opening of these high-speed rail links becomes better connected to the headquarter. Mm -hmm. Can you remind us what are these predictions and how do you test them? Mm -hmm in terms of the vehicle specification? So we study how these new high-speed train routes affect the establishments and headquarters of uh, multi-establishment firms. Um, and we also study whether there are kind of spillover effects um, on possible other establishments that the firms may have. Now, for the establishments, the model yields one unambiguous prediction, namely that if the establishment gets better connected, it should grow faster. So th this should have a positive effect on establishment size. And then for the headquarters and the other establishments, one challenge is that we show in the model that there's actually a direct and an indirect effect of geographic frictions on firm organization. So there's a direct effect um, for a given amount of output, but then there's also an indirect effect um, because if geographic frictions change, then also the marginal production costs change, and that affects output, and output also is a determinant of firm organization. For the affected establishment, the prediction is unambiguous. Both the direct effect and the indirect effect via output on the number of production workers is unambiguously positive. What about the prediction on the number of managerial layers? for the affected establishments? There's no unambiguous prediction on the wages or the number of managerial layers for the establishments. How do you test that? What regression do you have? For the establishment, we run a set of difference in difference type regressions where we regress our outcome variable. So for example, the number of production workers on a dummy variable that indicates whether the establishment was affected by lower travel times. 
an establishment fixed effect and county year fixed effects. And the county year fixed effects are very important. So they, they imply that we compare establishments that through the high-speed train routes get better connected to the headquarters, that, that we compare those establishments to establishments in the same county and year that don't get better connected to the headquarters. So to make this specific, so for the county of um, Frankfurt, we compare establishments that have the headquarters in Cologne, and now they get better connected to the headquarters in Cologne, to establishments that have the headquarters in Munich and thus don't benefit from the new high-speed train routes. And that's important because the high-speed train routes have many more effects than just um, bringing closer together the establishments and the headquarters. So for example, um, these new high-speed train routes, they're used by commuters, so they have labor market effects. And there's also a literature that shows that if there are high-speed train routes, then firms get access to better suppliers. And the county year fixed effects basically allow us to difference out these effects and focus just on the effect of getting better connected to the headquarters. Okay, what is the finding? So what we find is that the number of production workers increases. So sorry, establishments that get better connected to the headquarters grow about 8% um, faster than establishments that don't get better connected to the headquarters. But we don't find that they change the number of managerial layers. We don't find that they increase the production worker wages or that they change the managerial share. And that's actually surprising given the literature. So based on the literature, what one would have expected is that if the establishment grows, It also increases worker wages um, as a proxy of worker knowledge, and it also increases the number of managerial layers. So, and this is something that we don't um, see. So just to say it once again, the idea here is that that establishment is growing, so it has more workers, but the reason that it is growing is that it is now able to leverage this ability of this CEO to solve more problems because of the um, decrease in helping costs. So therefore, this growth doesn't need to be accompanied by an increase in the managerial layers because the whole point is that the CEO is already taking care of this expansion of problems that need to be solved. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the results for the establishment alone don't necessarily suggest this, but we also look at the headquarters and at other possible establishments that the firm may have. What are the predictions for the headquarters and other establishments? This is the second set of predictions from the model. Mm -hmm. So for the headquarters, um, the prediction is that we should find an effect. So unlike for the number of production workers of the establishment, there's no unambiguous model prediction of kind of what effect we should find, so in which direction it should go, because the direct effect of changes of geographic frictions and the indirect effect on the organization through adjustments of output often go in different directions. So the prediction that we take to the data is that there should be an effect of changes of geographic frictions between the headquarters and the establishment on the headquarter organization. And what, we've, what we um, do to test this prediction is we run a similar set of regressions as we do for the establishment. So we regress our outcome variables, the number of production workers of the headquarters, the number of managerial layers, and production 
production worker wages on a dummy variable that indicates whether the headquarters gets better connected through the high-speed train routes to at least one of its establishments. And then we use headquarter county year fixed effects. So again, we compare headquarters that get better connected to their establishments to headquarters in the same county and year that don't get better connected to the establishments in order to difference out other possible effects that the high-speed routes may have. And you find that for the first group of headquarters, the number of manager layers increases. Yes. And so what we see is that for the headquarters, the wages of the production workers increases and the number of managerial layers increases. And also the, the managerial share in the wage sum increases. And this suggests that um, kind of this increase of the number of production workers at the establishment doesn't lead to an organizational adjustment at the establishment, but it leads to an organizational adjustment at the headquarters. And through the lens of the model, you can interpret that as an adjustment that allows um, the CEO or kind of top managerial resources of the firm to shift its attention from the headquarters to um, the establishment. And that's consistent with, uh, with the model. So the idea here is now it is easier for the CEO to travel to the other establishment. Mm -hmm. So now the CEO optimally spends more time in the establishment, which means that these people here in the headquarters, they have to take care of themselves. Exactly. So we need to hire smarter workers so that they don't th throw so many problems upwards. And we have to create an additional layer of managers that solve whatever problems get sent to not have the CEO deal with as many problems uh, in the headquarters themselves. Exactly. So in a sense, you can think about it as it has become easier for the CEO or more kind of less costly, that's more worthwhile to spend time on the establishment. And that's why the CEO reallocates her attention and the headquarter therefore has to reorganize in order to kind of to cope with the fact that less time of the CEO is spent on the headquarters. Yeah. The predictions and the findings for the other establishments of the same firm that are not the headquarters, mm -hmm. but are also not the affected establishments are also the same, presumably, mm -hmm. and the findings are also the same. So in the model, we just have the headquarters and the establishment. In the data, um, we don't just see multi-establishment firms that consist of one headquarters and one establishment, but we also see other establishments of the firm. So we see headquarters in many different establishments. And so we basically were curious to see whether there's kind of an effect on establishments that don't themselves get better connected to the headquarters through the opening of the high-speed train routes but um, that belong to firms where other establishments get better connected. So if we think back of this example that I gave you of an establishment in Frankfurt that has a headquarter in Cologne, um, you could think of another establishment of the very same firm that is located in Hamburg. And this establishment doesn't benefit from the high-speed train route between Cologne and Frankfurt, but we were curious to see whether it adjusts its organization. And indeed, we find that the, the wages of production workers at such establishments increase. And this is, again, consistent with an organizational adjustment that allows the CEO to shift her attention to the direct directly affected um, establishment. So here is my question. Now that mm -hmm. we have uh, heard everything about the model and the findings, in terms of what is the core objective of this paper? Mm -hmm. Because I can think of an objective that is relatively less ambitious, mm -hmm. 
which is to argue that everything is connected. You know, for that objective, I don't really need like a big model or anything. The moment that I run a regression in which something happens to an establishment and I see that the left-hand side variable of the other establishment or the headquarters also changes, I have shown you empirically Mm -hmm. that the two things are connected. Mm -hmm. There is the second more ambitious objective, which is to argue that the pattern of findings, some of them perhaps correlations, other are more causal, that we find here in this German context, validate this specific model, this Garicano-like type of model, and that therefore um, hint or, or seem to suggest that this is a a good representation of how organizations are structured. Not perhaps a realistic one, but a good in the sense of, of a capturing the main, the core features of reality as, as well as possible. What is the main objective here? And, and, and if it is the second, how well do you think that mm-hmm. the, the paper succeeded? Mm-hmm. So I think the objective is more like the second objective, although we're, I think, a little bit less ambitious. So, so what, I, what we wanted to achieve with the papers, we wanted to make progress regarding the understanding of how the decision to maintain multiple establishments affects firm organization, and more specifically, how geographic frictions affect the organization of the different units of a multi-establishment firm. And now we picked the knowledge hierarchy uh, framework by Garicano because, first of all, it's consistent with how we measure the number of layers in the data. Um, But secondly, because this is a paper about geographic frictions, and there's some evidence um, from your work and also from the work of other people that geographic frictions affect how well information can flow um, between people. Now, we could, of course, have picked an alternative um, uh, hierarchy framework, the monitoring hierarchy framework. And many of the predictions of a monitoring hierarchy framework with multiple establishments actually would be consistent with the main evidence that we show in the paper. Now, the question is a little bit why or how much can we say regarding how reasonable it is to pick the knowledge hierarchy framework? And so what we do in the paper to kind of to bolster a little bit that it makes sense to model this in a knowledge hierarchy framework is we uh, we show that um, wages, um, that whenever wages change, we see concomitant changes of the education of the employees and their tenure as more direct measures of knowledge. And in addition, we exploit a prediction that all our effects should be more pronounced in sectors with a less predictable production process. And indeed, when we do a sample split and we split the sample into firms with a below median predictability of the production process and a above median predictability of the production process, um, we can show that the effects are indeed driven by the multi-establishment firms in sectors with a below median predictability of the production process. Um, And we measure the predictability of the production process using survey data. So all in all, I think that this is kind of evidence that suggests that the forces that we model, like the that geographic frictions affect the helping cost, indeed um, have empirical relevance um, in the data. Very good. Thank you very much, Anna, for coming to the program. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was a great pleasure. My guest today has been Anna Gumpert. My name is Jordi Vanessi-Vidal, and this is the Visible Hand podcast. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to the other papers that we discussed. 
Interactory Music and Logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan. 